Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. We have seen in the first several chapters of Matthew amazing prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Son of Abraham, son of David, he is the the Messiah that was prophesied for centuries. He was predestined to be heralded as the Messiah. Matthew is very clear in the fact that all these glorious prophecies, as I have said, are predestined. Nothing will stop it. God in his due time will bring everything to come to pass as he has declared. And so not only has he prophesied the coming of the Messiah, he's also prophesied the one who would herald the onset of the Messiah. We see this great prophecy that Matthew mentions here in our text concerning Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 3, is the passage that Matthew is referencing. In the midst of so much ungodliness in Israel, among God's covenant people, it will, because of their ungodliness, it will precipitate God's terrible judgment upon them. But in this declaration of judgment upon a nation for its unfaithfulness, and the judgment will be severe. The glorious temple of Solomon will be demolished. Jerusalem will be trampled under by the Gentiles. The Babylonians will come, and they will destroy the holy city, the holy temple. They will carry off others, the survivors, into Babylon. A great tragedy. A tragedy of such immense proportions that the Jewish people Imagine yourself, one of those that survived and are being transported to Babylon. The place where God said, I will manifest my presence, is gone. Gone. The great city destroyed. And you're carried off. And the mindset that the prophets mentioned of people were, there is no hope. All hope is gone forever. It's over. But Isaiah says that great judgment that came upon you for your unfaithfulness. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. With a great prophecy and a coming prophet who would herald the way. I want us to turn to that prophecy that Matthew alludes to. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem 
and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I was ready for you to break out in Messiah's uh, Handel's oratorio here. Matthew makes it very clear that this herald that Isaiah prophesied was John the Baptist. John's ministry, in fact, is the beginning of the gospel age. And with Malachi's same prophecy, Malachi prophesied concerning this coming one in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And with Malachi's prophecy, he was the last prophet of the Old Testament era. And his prophecy was nearly 400 years before the coming of the one that he prophesied concerning, John the Baptist. God would not send another prophet for 400 years. Silence. For 400 years. Until there was one who came crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Imagine 400 years without a new revelation. But as I've said, mentioned Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12 to you. God says that he watches over his word to perform it. God does not forget his promises All his prophecies will come to pass exactly as God uh, determines it to be. It is fitting that the focus of John's ministry is preaching. That's the focus. If you notice in, in our passage, it says John came preaching in the wilderness. As you know, I've recently put a book in the print called Preaching and the Victory of the Gospel. Preaching is the, the divinely ordained means by which the kingdom of God is advanced in this world. It's been always the primary means that God has used to advance the kingdom of God. And so John's ministry, we're told, paved the way for the Messiah. And his preaching... John's preaching, that is, was the mechanism that God used. His preaching focused upon repentance. And in this repentance, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, we're going to keep coming back to, we'll come back eventually to Isaiah 40. But if you notice in our passage, in Matthew 3, he came... And as verse 2 tells us, he came saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is after the second coming of Christ. No, he said the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. It has arrived. And it had dawned in human history, finally. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was upon the stage of human history. It would not be something relegated to some future time. The scripture makes it very clear. It had arrived with the preaching of John the Baptist. Mark, in his gospel account, turn with me to Mark 1, look at verses 1 and 2. It's very important what Mark says. Notice what he says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist's ministry was the beginning of the gospel era. Even though we are told in Galatians chapter 3 that the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand when God promised to bless all the nations through this seed of Abraham. But in terms of the beginning of the gospel age, even Mark recognizes, it came with the preaching of John the Baptist. Not only Mark says this, but the Lord Jesus himself said this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16 and look at verse 16. Jesus is speaking here and he says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. The Lord Jesus himself promised a better era, a better condition for the the church, the visible church of God. That had existed under the law. The church has been in existence for a long time. And there was the church in the Old Testament. Stephen even made that clear in his, his great sermon that he got stoned for. The church has been around since the dawn of time, since the, our first parents. And the Lord Jesus promised, he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, in other words, since John the Baptist, everything, he says, the kingdom of God is being preached. So John's ministry marks an important point in human history. You know, our Westminster Confession of Faith uh, States it very well. Now, I want you to turn with me to the Confession of Faith in the back of your hymn book. Turn with me to chapter 7, page 676. We're going to be reading section 5 and 6 on page 677. This is the chapter of God's covenant with man. Section 5 reads, The covenant was differently administered in the time of the law. He's talking about the covenant of grace now. And in the time of the gospel, under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, 
the Paschal Lamb and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all four signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation, and is called the Old Testament. Under the Gospel, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the ordinances in which the covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them it is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all the nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and is called the New Testament. There are not therefore two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. So what we see here is that God's covenant of grace to redeem fallen man was administered differently up until John the Baptist came. It was administered under the law, which is the law and the prophets, and it's administered in a different way, the same covenant of grace in the gospel age. Now, what marked the age of the law and the prophets? Promise. Prophecies. Sacrifices. Circumcision. Bloody ordinances. Uh, the, the shadows. Types of Christ. And what did the gospel age bring? Well... With it, with the commencement of John the Baptist, we see fulfillment. This, the substance to the shadows has arrived. The Old Testament sacrifices were shadows of Christ. But Christ is the substance to the shadows. There's the elimination of bloody rites of circumcision and the Passover, replaced by baptism. And the Lord's Supper. And as Jesus said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, he says, the kingdom of God is preached. And we're going to see in Matthew 11, when we get to that portion in Matthew, that just prior to John's beheading, Jesus will declare that John was indeed a prophet. And that he says he was more than a prophet. More than a prophet in the sense that he was the one predestined by God to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Yes, he was a prophet, but Jesus says there was no other prophet like him. In the sense that he would be the privileged one to pave the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Consequently, Jesus, Jesus declared that among women, uh, men born of women, there was none greater than John the Baptist. But then he even says that the kingdom of heaven would be proclaimed henceforth from John's uh, dawning upon the stage of human history. And the least in the kingdom of heaven 
Jesus says, would be greater than John the Baptist. We'll learn how that can be as we go through Matthew's account. As great as John was, he says, the least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John the Baptist. And so we'll see that it all has to do with the promises of the new covenant that is available to you, you and me. Matthew doesn't deal with John's, uh, John the Baptist's birth, uh, but jumps right into John's ministry in his account. But John's birth is worth mentioning. Uh, and we to learn about John the Baptist's birth, uh, we have to go to Luke chapter 1 to learn some things concerning it. Who were John's parents? Well, John's parents were Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias was a priest of the Lord. And there's a, like Abraham's wife, Sarah, who was barren for the longest period of time, so Elizabeth was barren, unable to have children. And we know from the Scripture that this was a great burden, I'm sure, to Elizabeth. It was a great burden to Zacharias, the fact that he could not have children. And we're told in Luke, Luke's Gospel account that an angel, and the angel is actually identified here, an angel by the name of Gabriel will come to Zacharias. And God, the angel, says to Zacharias, God has heard your petition. God's heard your desire to have a child. And he says you will have a child. There's a lot of similarities between uh, the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, the pregnancy of Mary, the pregnancy of <clears throat> Elizabeth. Of course, Mary's pregnancy was a virgin conception, not John's, of course. We see that an angel announces to both, and we're told that the angel that came to Joseph was the angel Gabriel, who told Mary that the child she is pregnant with is of God. It's the same angel that came to Zacharias saying that his wife would have a, a son. And just like the, the angel told Joseph what to call the son, call him Jesus, so the angel Gabriel tells Zacharias, this is what you're going to call him. Now we're told that Zacharias made an error because he says, Oh angel, can you give me some assurance, some evidence that this is going to happen? And you know what Luke 1 says? Because he questioned God, he was stricken with dumbness. He could not speak until that son was born. And it's sort of fitting in this regard that the one who was during this pregnancy would not be able to speak because he questioned God in this regard until John was baptized, I mean, John was born, uh, the one who, this, this priest who could not speak, as it were, the son, 
that his wife was carrying was none other than the one prophesied by Isaiah. The great herald that marks the onset of a new age. So that when Mary and Elizabeth meet, by the way, they were cousins. Elizabeth is six months pregnant when there's a visit of Elizabeth with Mary. And what are we told in Luke's account? It sort of gives us an indication of what had already happened to John the Baptist because the very presence of the two pregnant women, it says that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy in the presence of Mary who was carrying the Messiah. In a way that we don't understand. You know, God (coughs) ordained the prophet Jeremiah from the moment of conception. We see this the same with John the Baptist. Uh, this leap, I mean, it's an imagery here, but all indication here is that there was that child, John the Baptist, in the womb, experienced something in the presence of the Messiah, of whom he would herald. And so we see here, it's fitting that the forerunner of the Messiah would leap for joy in the presence of of the one that he was destined to pave the way for. And when God seeks to communicate with men, what does God do? He sends them a preacher. It's what he has always done. Sends them a preacher. A herald. And remember, the herald is the voice of God who speaks God's word unto men. The herald has divine authority. The herald speaks for the king. And we see here that John the Baptist was no ordinary preacher. He came inaugurating the onset of a new age in mankind. It was the age of fulfillment. It was the age of the realization of God's promises in a most special way. What do we see in the Old Testament? Since the beginning of history, there was the promise in the Garden of Eden, was there not, of a Redeemer. Immediately after the fall, immediately after God uh, told what the curse would be upon the parties involved in the fall, immediately in Genesis 3.15, we have the promise of Messiah. Talking about Satan, you will, you will uh, bruise his heel, but he, the Messiah, will crush your head. All the covenants of the Old Testament pictured Christ and his atoning work. We, we mentioned this several times that Jesus has said, All the law and the prophets have testified to me. And you should have believed, he said. They all testified to me. Jesus is the theme of the Bible. The Redeemer is the theme of the Bible. And this wonderful promise of a com- coming Messiah in the Old Testament, under the law, was pictured in shadows. You didn't get the full picture, in other words. A shadow tells you that there is something casting the shadow, right? But it has it's, it's not the actual thing itself. It tells you that there's something that's casting that shadow that is the substance. Well, that was the whole Old Testament era. But now, the substance has come. And John the Baptist, in his preaching, has said the substance has arrived. The long-awaited Messiah 
is upon you. The kingdom of God is at hand. So in a special way, the beginning of the gospel is a call of comfort to God's covenant people who have been weighed down with iniquity. Their sins. And John, it says, came preaching in the wilderness. Now, that wilderness area that's being referenced to didn't mean that it was totally uninhabited. It was just sparsely uninhabited. And the people would come out into the wilderness to hear John preach and to be baptized. Now, turn back with me to Isaiah 40. Again, this is the prophecy of which Matthew says... John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, we learn from this that that Israel, in this historical period of time, Israel had been crushed by the Lord for her spiritual adultery. She had gone after other gods. The Lord's anger had burned against Israel. As we've already mentioned, Jerusalem will be decimated. The glorious temple of Solomon will be destroyed and people carried off into captivity. But here is the, the wonderful news that we must never forget. No matter how grievous our sins may be, God's compassion is even greater. That's the point of the prophecy. That is the ministry of John the Baptist. As terrible as your sins are, God's compassion is far Far greater than how terrible your sins are. In fact, God in His wonderful grace and mercy will send a preacher to comfort us. God didn't speak to John the Baptist saying, whisper in the ears of the people. Cry out! The Messiah is here. He's paving the way. He heralded The message in an incredible way, crying out in the wilderness that these people would be comforted. We see here, if you look at Isaiah, it says, verse 2, Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed. That she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, the days of warfare are ended. Her warfare against God has come to an end. Everyone who is in rebellion against God is at war with God. But the voice crying in the wilderness is saying, Be comforted, O people. God is ending the warfare that's in your heart. He's bringing an end to that warfare. And how does God bring an end to the warfare? Well, look at verse 2. Her iniquity has been removed. All of Israel's sins have been removed. And by being removed, it means they have been forgiven. What greater, rather, what greater comfort is there than this? To know 
and to hear from God, as Jesus would say to some people when he would heal them. He says, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. We are to be people of great joy to know that God has forgiven us on our iniquities. Our troubles are removed in one sense when our sins are pardoned. Does not Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 say, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered? How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity? In fact, Isaiah 40 verse 2 says that Jerusalem is receiving double the cure for her sins. God's compassion, His pity is ever towards those that He's drawing to Himself. And those who have repented hearts have indeed in Christ and in the suffering of Christ on their behalf have surely received a double cure for their sins. Now imagine, the slate is clean. It's clean. All that was against us, and the Bible makes it uh, clear to us that when we sin, we are accumulating this mound of debt before God that we owe Him. And as Colossians will tell us, that certificate of debt against us that the law was saying that you're guilty of, it's canceled in Christ. It's wiped out. And so what we see here in being wiped out, they are, this great burden is lifted. Do you understand why he says, Be comforted, comfort ye, O my people. Your sins are pardoned. At last. You see, our sins show us, and they have created the state of war between us and the living God. That's what our sins have done. The Bible says that we are at enmity against God because of our sins. And so, the point here is, why fight anymore? Surrender. Listen to the preacher that God has sent to pave the way for the Messiah. Our sins have created that dilemma, and in Jesus, the dilemma is solved. Later in Jesus' ministry, did not Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29, Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And John heralded the coming of that one. John the Baptist was crying in the wilderness, with the great promise of comfort to the people of God. John's message, as Matthew 3, verse 2 says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. It is a kingdom. This kingdom that is at hand 
is a kingdom whereby the Son of God has come down. Heaven has come to earth in the person of the Son of God made man. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God, Emmanuel, is with you. Repent. It's at hand. It's right before you. It is a kingdom where Christ is the sovereign king. It is a spiritual kingdom, not of this world. Meaning, and as Jesus would later say to Pontius Pilate, Jesus would tell Pontius Pilate that my kingdom is not of this world, meaning its origin, its source is not of this world. It's out of this world. It is from heaven. God's kingdom is not a political kingdom. It is not advanced by political means, even though it has great political ramifications, but it is not advanced by that. The rulers of the earth must must pay homage to the Son. They must kiss the Son or perish, according to Psalm 2. Brethren, our hope is not in human institutions. Our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in whom we elect. Our hope is, is in our sovereign God. That's where our hope is. And as Jesus would later preach, the kingdom of God, in fact, is within you. It's not only at hand, it's within you. And we need to understand and to see this correlation with Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, with what Isaiah prophesied. Matthew has John crying out, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now what did Isaiah 40, verse 3 say? Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness... Make smooth in the desert, and that's what the wilderness is, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low. Let the rough ground become plain and let the rugged terrain become a broad valley, is what Isaiah says. In other words, make a level path for God to come to you. Make a level path for God to come to you. And as Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, verse 5, For the glory of the Lord will be revealed. John's message is, is clear. It's simple. But it's profound. Repent. For in repenting, he says, we make smooth the way of the Lord in our hearts. That's how we reduce the mountains. That's how we raise up the valley by, and make smooth a way for the Lord in our hearts. John the Baptist was God's, God's herald to all of us. The mountains must be leveled, meaning our high opinions of ourselves, our self-righteousness that has been elevated sinfully must be Taken down. In Israel, there was a great decay of religion during John the Baptist's time. The people were generally proud of their privilege as the covenant people of God, and they were justifying themselves in their own righteousness. And the worst of the culprits 
were the scribes and the Pharisees, as we're going to see next week. The scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they are the greatest of all the hypocrites. Because they, above all, were the most self-righteous. And what is the solution to a self-righteous, self-sufficient attitude? There is the need that we have to realize that we have insulted a holy God and our sins have separated us from this holy God, as Isaiah 59 said. Our sins have separated us from our God. We must realize we're sinners. We must realize that we've transgressed the holy law of God. And we, we must realize that as a result of transgressing that law of God, we stand condemned by that law of God. That's why we read the Ten Commandments today. We must come to understand and be convicted of the fact that we are insufficient in ourselves to remedy our sinful condition. Our self-righteousness will not make it. That is not how we pave the way of the Lord in our hearts. It was not what John preached. Repent of your sins. We must make his traits, make his paths straight. We know that the way of sin and the devil is a crooked way, is it not? To prepare the path of the Lord in our hearts, we must lay our sins at the feet of Jesus and beg for mercy. That's how we prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John was preaching in the wilderness. That we have a heart that will receive the Messiah. And you can't receive the Messiah and his wonderful work Unless you repent. Next week we'll learn more about what the nature of repentance is precisely. But without repentance, there is no hope for us. Though the people look for a Messiah that would come in great splendor and pomp. That's, what they, that's how they visualized the coming of the Messiah would be. There would be trumpets sounding. And during Jesus' day, they thought that the Messiah, if he's really come, that he will cast off the Romans who had uh, enslaved the Jews, as it were, made them subjugate to the rule of Rome. So they looked for the Messiah to come in all his glory, destroy the Romans. No, the Messiah wouldn't come that way, and neither did the forerunner. The messenger that Isaiah proclaimed, would, neither would he come that way. The messenger of the Lord, he didn't come in all this pomp and splendor either. As Jesus would say of John the Baptist in Matthew 11, he says, when you went out to the wilderness, what did you expect to see? A prophet? Yes, a prophet. But he says, did you expect to see a man in soft Clothing in a king's palace, Jesus said. Is that what you expected to see when you went out in the wilderness to see John? He says, why did you go out? 
to see a prophet? Yes, you went out to see a prophet. But this one was greater than a prophet. He was the one greater than a prophet because he was my forerunner. He was sent to prepare your hearts for me. And he did. And his life was a visual realization of humility. How was he clothed? Well, Jesus said he wasn't clothed with fine linen like a king's palace. He had a coat of camel's hair. Did he eat the nice little delicacies in a king's palace? Is that what he ate? No. He ate honey and he ate locusts. Yes, the insects. That's what he ate. After all, the locusts were was a permissible food in the Levitical rites to eat locusts. So if you want, if you feel led to have some chocolate-covered locusts, go right ahead. It'll be very biblical. John didn't look like he came from a palace. He didn't eat like he was in a palace. He didn't come. He came in a wilderness. Everything was a visual image of what it must be like in your life, you see. If we're to enter the kingdom of God, we have to be the poor in spirit, Jesus said. You have to be poor in spirit. John the Baptist prepared the way for the Messiah, Jesus. John's message is one of repentance. A repentant heart, you see, is a level path for the Lord, as it were, to come to the wilderness in our hearts. So I've got to ask you, has your heart been leveled by the Lord? Has your heart been leveled to make a path straight for the Lord Jesus? Do you know yourself to be a sinner? Do you even care that you're a sinner? Are you proud of yourself? If you're proud of yourself, that mountain of pride must be brought down. It's not the arrogant that will enter the kingdom of God. As we'll see, it's not the one who boasts of how he's better than others, but it's the one who hangs his head and says, Oh, a sinner like me, I'm not even worthy to lift my head up before the Lord God. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is leveling the mountains and raising us up. We are dragged down by our sins. As David said, that when he was sinning, he says, My sins have weighed me down. My sins have wasted me away. And it wasn't until he repented that he found the joy of the Lord again. Are you resisting the Lord? Are you still fighting? You're still at war with God in some way. Why continue a fight that you simply cannot win? Surrender unconditionally. And what was John's message? It was one of surrender. Repent. Repent. And his baptism was a baptism of repentance symbolizing what God was doing in their hearts. 
And that's why he'll be so hard on the Pharisees and the scribes that will come to him. He says, who told you to come and repent? Because he knew they weren't coming to repent. Cast yourself at the feet of Jesus and he will set you free. He will pardon all your sins. And it doesn't matter how terrible those sins are. It's what John preached. And the reason he's called great by Jesus himself is because if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you have to enter with a spirit of being poor in spirit, humble before God, recognizing you're a wretch and you deserve condemnation. That's how you've got to view yourself. And the preaching, as we've said, is the mechanism by which God uses to advance the kingdom of God. It's always been by faithful preaching. I've mentioned this before. One of the favorite stories that I read about George Whitfield when the Countess of Huntington, you know, the woman of great aristocracy, had all this immense wealth but used it for the kingdom of God, would invite Whitfield and the Wesleys over, but she liked Whitfield the most, and she would invite all of her uh, aristocracy to come and hear Whitfield preach at her estate. And then she would go off in the back room and pray during that time. And during one of the preaching sessions, one of uh, the other countesses from another area in England, Whitfield made the comment, he says, he says, even the Lord will take the devil's castaways. And, and the woman was offended by that. What is this preacher saying the Lord will take the devil's castaways of all things? And so they were complaining to Lady Huntington, and, you know, she would understand. So, well, let's just go ask, ask uh, the preacher. So she means Whitfield. He says, sir, uh, the countess so-and-so here, I forgot her name. She, she said, did you say that the Lord would take the devil's castaways? And Whitfield says, I am guilty as charged. Yes. <laughs> what, what was Whitfield trying to drive home? There is no sin so great, and he couched in the image, if you're so bad, the devil doesn't even want you. That's how he couched the imagery. There is no sin so bad that you can't be saved. It doesn't matter what it is. And as he explained that to that countess who complained, she would give her heart to Jesus. The mountains will be leveled. The valleys will be lifted up. Prepare a straight path for the Lord. The Messiah has come. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. Repent. Prepare your way because this one, he will save you. That's what you have to do, brethren. Heed the voice of John the Baptist. Prepare your heart to receive the Messiah. Let us pray.